We are continuing our sermon theme for this series on the one thing, and we'll be looking at the one. We've been looking at one thing so a couple last a couple of mornings, uh, desired for all, and this morning we'll be looking at the one thing uh, lacking. It'll be our text this morning, the one thing lacking. And uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke text. We're going to. Go to the next slide there, and you'll put them up there on the wall for you. Oh, come back. Come back. Come back. I jumped ahead of myself there. All right. Um, one thing lacking. And I'm going to be looking at Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And you can turn to Matthew 19 or Mark 10 or Luke 18. And I'm going to be doing quite a bit of work in uh, Matthew 19, 16 through 22. So you can kind of keep those, uh, that section of Scripture in mind. Got a couple of pictures here on the wall of things that uh, uh, impacted your life in, in, in a profound way, that impact your life in a profound way, and uh, in ways probably we, we don't even, uh, this generation probably, we don't even probably realize how they impact your life. This first one here, I don't, you can't really see the fine print on the one side, but what you have here is the final page of the Berlin surrender. This is the, this is the Nazi surrender in Berlin about 1945, uh, forget the exact date, March of 45. And uh, the top line there, you see some scribbling. That's the, they scraped up three German, uh, three Nazi uh, uh, generals and represented the Nazi forces. And then the other are American and Allied force surrenders there in Berlin. Uh, that document. Got in the next document here. This is the Tokyo Bay surrender. This is the final page of the Tokyo Bay surrender. And uh, uh, the top section there are the Imperial uh, Japanese uh, commanders. And then the bottom section is a whole host uh, of, uh, there's uh, uh, General Admiral Nimitz signs the first line for the United States. And then there's a whole host of British and the Netherlands and and allied forces that signed the rest of the page there. And, and I, as I looked at those two documents, um, I, I made copies of it. If there's someone here that just, just, just got to look a little closer, you can come and look. But, but, it, but it was kind of remarkable when I printed off these two, the last page of those two documents from the National Archives files, I looked at them and I thought, really? Two pieces of paper, hundreds of thousands of lives for two pieces of paper. That doesn't even count the kazillion billions of dollars and the destruction of, of, of archives and and art and, and everything else for two pieces of paper that says surrender. Unconditional surrender. So thinking about that, I thought, well, in looking at our, our text today and what's lacking, the one thing lacking, I decided, and I, and I felt like I had to come up with one word. One thing lacking. And the best I could come up with is one thing lacking is surrender. 
One thing lacking is surrender. And out of these three texts here. And I, I want to look at the, this text. Many of you know this text probably as the focus is the Jesus' dialogue with the rich young ruler. That, that's, that's usually, that's usually, that's what the italics are usually in the four lead on this section of, of, the, of the section of Scripture. And, and it, it comes up there. And, and so, so this morning what I want to do is I want to just tell you the story uh, from the Scripture of the rich young ruler. And, and I'm going to draw in from Matthew and Mark and some of Luke, the, the synoptic gospels. So apparently this little clip of Jesus' interaction with this, with this guy was so important that all three gospel writers said we got to focus on these three on this event and pull this this event together because it has such a a critically important message uh, for for our lives today. Now, before I, I go into telling you this story, uh, I have to preface this that probably when this when it says in our Bible, rich young ruler, he probably we don't think of him as a political ruler. He probably was a, and no doubt from most, all the scholarship would say here, is this young man was a Pharisee. A Pharisee, you can go to your grave and not knowing exactly what that is and won't make a lot of difference in your life, but a Pharisee in the context of the New Testament was a, was a Jewish sect of the Judaism that had a very strong and strict view of concerning the Scriptures. And Jesus had dealt with a lot of Pharisees in his entire uh, earthly ministry. So this encounter with this rich young Pharisee, who apparently had some kind of a ruler or head teachership in some kind of school or training of Pharisees, some kind of rabbinical head, headship, uh, and apparently a very affluent and wealthy young uh, Pharisee, and, and so this isn't his first rodeo, though, with Pharisees. So on, on this encounter, he just finished a little backdrop. He's in, in the countryside of Perea. Perea is the area that's just, just east of the Jordan River, straight across the river from Jericho and straight up the hill to Jerusalem. Incidentally, just a kind of a quick little insight, that is the staging area for the nation of Israel before they walked into the promised land the first time, before they attacked and came across. But this is Jesus' last hurrah coming across the Jordan River into the last week, the final week of Christ's life and in Jerusalem and finally the crucifixion. So he's, he's winding up his earthly ministry, getting ready to go across, and this Pharisee comes across the Jordan River, which shows some effort, comes across the Jordan River and encounters him there because the atmosphere is explosive now because the Jerusalem has got word, and obviously this young Pharisee got word. They probably saw it on their cell phone or something, and so they knew that Jesus was coming. And they were getting ready, and there was just, the atmosphere was electric. He is coming back. Didn't that guy have enough sense to stay up north? Because if he comes this time, it's the final time, guaranteed. So this guy goes and intersects him there. And, but Jesus goes, had intersected a lot of Pharisees. In fact, I'm going to give you two scriptures here this morning that I want to use as my 
as my structure for my outline. Hopefully that you can take this, these structures with you home today. And this, so he goes uh, to, uh, this, this actually happens after he deals with this rich young ruler, but it's a great synopsis statement because Jesus deals with the same thing with this rich young ruler that he does with this other Pharisee. In Matthew, the, the uh, 22nd chapter, there's a verse of Scripture there. If you can go to the next slide. Uh, back up one slide. There's one missing. There, there we go. So this, this, these two verses here, uh, the, the Jewish people, they would call this the Shema. This is the prayer that the Jewish people still pray today. If they'd walk out of it to a synagogue, they would, this would be one prayer they would always pray before they left the synagogue. And, and, uh, uh, and, and so I just, thought, I, just, I just thought this morning, we ought to read this together. Now, let me give you a little bit of context here before we read this together. When Jesus goes into Jerusalem, uh, he is being intercepted by groups of Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians. It's a political ruling force there. And they're coming up to Jesus and saying, I got a question for you that you can't answer. And they would spring this question on him, and Jesus would answer it. Spring another question, Jesus. And pretty soon they got thinking, they started retreating. Well, doesn't, it's not very good PR to be in front of the camera when, you get, when you're just stooped like that. And so finally, a group of Pharisees got together and they said, and they got the, the brainiest legal mind there that they had, the brainiest lawyer they had, a Pharisaical lawyer. And they said, Let's, uh, let's get him this time because we know we are smarter than anybody in the world because every generation knows that they're the smartest generation ever lived. And so they got together and they came up with a, with a big statement. And so this one Pharisee, they, he said, uh, I'll ask him because they were all going, you ask him, you ask him, you ask him. <laughs> I won't be on the press when he cuts me down. Oh, you ask him. So this one Pharisee says, oh. So he struts up to Jesus and he asks the question, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment? And so this is, this is the greatest commandment. Let's maybe we can try to say this together this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Second one. Now, now, there's a little, we're going to jump on this. Mark kind of adds, is a little something that says, Jesus interjects here. And the second one is like unto it. Let me say this together. The second one is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus brings this on this guy. Now, here's the great mystery of this little talk. Now, when he walked up to him, flipped his robes, teacher. Now, that's a Serbi, teacher. Rabbi. None of us here ever thought you ought to got scratched because you're from Galilee and you have no distinguished credits. Rabbi. So you know he's setting him up here. But at the end of this discourse, this rabbi who said to the other rabbis, I'll do the questions. Mark suggests in his talk that he really wanted to talk to Jesus, 
but he didn't have quite the guts to just do it on his own. So he steps up to Jesus. And now he hears Jesus say this, and he says, Boy, that's good. You have spoke well. For it is true that if you understand the first great commandment, it will be seen as you live it out in the second. And then he hits, then he ties the bow on it. This is greater than sacrifice, the lambs and offerings. The way you really so what he's saying is. This relationship with God is greater and more deeper than ritual. It's about relationship with God. And Jesus looks at him and says, in front of all these people, in front of all these guys that push him up there, Jesus says, you are close to the king. Mm. Now, flip forward the story of the rich young ruler. So Jesus is on his way now, going up to his last days. And as he approaches, on the, still on the eastern side of the river, this young rabbi comes to him and, and uh, most scriptures call him the rich young ruler. There's probably, Matthew actually says it in his text, young ruler, later, a little bit lower later in the text. But he does things that, are, that indicate very rich. Matthew indicates, say, it depends what translation, he says, behold, boom, there's a young guy there in front of him. Now, the rest of the scripture says, a young man came running. That's probably why Matthew says, behold. <laughs> Tremendous amount of energy there. Then he does some other things that, Young people do. He fell down on his knees. <laughs> I take those knees bends a lot easier. <laughs> he fell down on his knees and knelt before Christ. Wow. What a dude. <laughs> and, 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 and all three gospel writers say that he was wealthy. That stood out because of his Tesla. And the way he was dressed. And probably his entourage that came with him. And then he says, good teacher. Now, this is, it's interesting. I couldn't see it in too many English translations, but I looked in the Greek. Agathos, Agathos is there. Good, good twice. He says, good teacher. What a good thing. And this guy just flowing with good. Good teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Boom. <laughs> no pre-evangelism here needed. No secret sensitive ministry needed here. <laughs> you better step up to the plate and say, well, what would he say? What did he say, let's raise your hand? Or did he say, let's pray the sinner's prayer? He didn't do that. He didn't say, Take this, fill out this card and give it to Peter and turn it in. 
I mean, this guy, he's wealthy. He's physically healthy. He's got power and connections. He knew that Jesus was coming here. Uh, and, and he's gutsy, or he's just full of a lot of youth vinegar and, you know, he's a lot of full of that. He, he would make any grandpa proud, right? How about your son? <laughs> and Jesus says, Excuse me, uh, that was a lot of goods. Why exactly do you want to talk to me about good? And you can just see the disciples going, man, get, he's ready. Sign him up. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You call me good. And then Jesus tightens it. But there is none good but God. Ooh. See, this young guy was using good like we use good. Everything's good. It's good is not, it's, it's not a, it's not a, a, a selective measure. Now, if nobody is good but God, then that means everybody in this room is not good, right? So you can go home today, and people say, well, what did the preacher talk about? He told us that we weren't good. And you will say, because I know who good is. And you will say, it's not me. Now, we use Agatha, Agnes is an American English word for good. You got any Agneses here? One? No Agneses. So there's no good people here in this church. So it's, there's only one good. And then, then he says, what must to do with her eternal life? Now, let's pick, talk on that just a second. When this young Jewish man came up to Jesus and asked him about eternal life, that is, doesn't ring the same as what we think. Because we, in our Western evangelistic verbiage about eternal life, we think of stepping into, making decisions to accept Jesus, and I'll have the promise of eternal life in heaven. Now, that was somewhat there in a Jewish mind, but even when resurrection of Lazarus, when Mary came out to meet him and Martha, Martha said to Jesus, well, Jesus says, well, he'll rise in the last day. And she said, yeah, 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 I got to know about that eternal life stuff. I'm talking about now. So in the Jewish mind, it was a good life. And Jesus talks about it several other places, the abundant life. It is stepping into a relationship with God in a complete and full way that overflows like you've never had it before right here and now and into eternity. That is eternal life. It is not just fragment. It's not just a piece. It's not just pie in the sky. It is right here and now. 
Something is supposed to happen different in our lives right here and now. And this young man said, there's something missing. There's something lacking in my life. I don't know quite what it is. I've got all the money. I've got the Tesla. I've got the connections. I've got the authority. I've got everything else. All the ducks in a row. And I've got something missing. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, go keep the commandments. And he gives a list here. He says, uh, he says, uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Mark says, do not defraud. He acts to defraud there. And he says, and honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus, Jesus. There's 10 of them. You drop the first four. In the last six, you didn't put in order. What is with him? The last six of the ten are all relational. It's all relational. Kind of get the sneaky, spooky feeling here. Somebody knew something more about this guy than he thought he knew. So probably when he was flashing around the word good, it wasn't just about being goody. Rabbi, you're really, you're really creative. Boy, there's a big crowd following you. I want to be caught in the limelight of this. I want to get caught into that. And no, we're not going to talk about that. And Jesus says, no, because the truth of the matter is Jesus saves each one of us one person at a time. And he saves us in the screwed up way that we're screwed up. John Wagner screwed up different than me. Right? And Jesus knows our heart, he knows our mind, he knows our walk, he knows where we've been, he knows what we hold on to and what we got a hold of so tight in our, in our hearts. And, and I'm going to have to move on here. Okay. Okay, so what I'm going to tell you about today here, and this young man, sum this up, is, is terms of surrender. It's terms of surrender. First term of surrender is submit to the Word of God. I, I couldn't come up with a, <laughs> something any clearer than that. Is the first term of surrender is, is submit to the will of God, submit to the Word of God. I cannot think of any way that more precisely to say that in order to come to Christ is total, complete surrender to God's word. Now this young man, what his response was, all those things? <laughs> I got him covered. Got him covered. Dinner, done that, bought the t-shirt. Got him, got him covered. Now, I, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to read to you right quickly, I hope. In the book Philippians, let me read this to you. Now listen carefully. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For the sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, trash, manure, actually is the word that I may gain Christ and be found in Him and not have a righteousness of my own that comes into the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God, which is by faith, to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of, suffer of sharing in His suffering, 
become like him to death, somehow that I can have that relationship with Christ. Those are the words of the Pharisee, Paul. So Pharisees can get it. That's good for us, right? Pharisees can get it. The one in the temple, when you read the Shemal this morning, he was close. Raise his edge away. Listen to these words. Romans 3. As it is written, there is not one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who sees God. All have turned away. They have right to have together become worthless. There's no one who does good. Oh, there's that word again. There's no one that does good, not even one. Though their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, the poison of vipers are on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, and ruin and misery mark their ways in the ways of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Yes, it's from Romans. It's a quote from Psalms. That's what the rich young ruler knew. That's how he got to be the big cheese. Because he went through those psalms. But the psalms never got him. I've done it all. If that guy would have been a lot better saying, whoa, I've done none of it. It's amazing, isn't it? I'm amazed myself. I'm amazed myself. How full of myself I am. God have mercy. Okay, so you got to get into the Word. you got to let the Word bring your conviction. you got to let the Word speak to your heart. The message of John the Baptist, that little crazy preacher in the wilderness, was repent. The message of Jesus is repent. And the message of Jesus today is still repent. you gotta, you got to face it. Okay, let's keep moving here quickly. So the second application here, the outline is, love God, get into the Word. I don't know anything best, better to say to you. Let the Word of God penetrate your heart and mind. This is, this is, this, you're, you're, des we're designed. Why is it written? Why is words written? Why do they do that? Because words change things. Words mean things. Con con countries rise and fall based upon words. <laughs> I caught an editorial this week, real quick. The editorial said, said uh, was about the Great Depression among adults today and suicide rates and teens rates and adults rates. And, and, and probably the part of it was just during the pandemic, too many people listened to too many uh, negative things and too much media in filling their hearts and minds. Then she went on to say, but you can, that's not the same if you watch a movie that kills people. You can watch all those you want, because we all know that's pretend. Who's that copycat stuff? Copycat killings come in. Isn't that just pretend? What you think, so you are. You've got to get the word in. You've got to get the word in your family. You, you, you've got to... Okay, so what, what's the next term? One term is getting the word. The next term is, 
is, is to love, love others. First term is huge. That's why Jesus, he could, why, he could say, Jesus, why are you messing around with the last six? Just hit him with the first four. He's going to be dead in the water. Jesus was so empathetic. He was so compassionate with this kid. I'm going to blow you away right away. I'm just going to tell you because you didn't love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy soul to start with. Invest in others. Uh, invest in the lives of others. We're going through the book of 1 John and men's Bible study on Saturday morning down at red, white, and blue at 7 o'clock. And 1 John, 1 John says, beware, stay, stay faithful. And then he says, uh, uh, get into the Word. And then he says, like front page headlines, be weary of false news. And the only way you get that is defense of the Word of God. Anyone says that he hates his brother, loves God, and yet hates his brother's life. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us a commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Remember, it's not about ritual. It's about relationship. However, please understand that when, when the Word of God, when Jesus says, did the Jefferson Richard Mueller, he gave him the commandments, and Richard Mueller says, I've been there and done that. Jesus is saying, I don't care what you're driving, I don't care how you're dressed, I don't care what your connections are. The truth is, you come to me the way which I designed. Amen. Through the word of God. That's how you come to me. We're going to go right back there, young man, right there. And I'm going to help you a little bit here. I'm going to help you show you with all your wealth, you couldn't figure out there was somebody hungry. Really? Invest in the lives of others. I was reading from Harold Fowler's book on the Matthews four volume set. You have to get it on a used bookstore someplace. You have to go online and get it. It's a great set, great Harold Fowler. Jenny and I, when we were in college, Harold came back from Rome. We invited him over to our little apartment. We had to tie the chairs together so they wouldn't collapse on the floor. Harold sat down and had dinner with us. Every time I read through those, I just think, thank God for that moment, for that afternoon. Where was I? <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's go on. <laughs> Did I get use your gifts for the kingdom? Okay, use your gifts for the kingdom. Now, you know, this, now, you know, because you usually think the rich young ruler, the people go, oh yeah, that's that story about Jesus, the rich young ruler, and he told him to go sell whatever he had because he was very, very rich, and that doesn't have to do anything with me because I'm not very, very rich. We'll get to that in just a moment. But, but what he's saying here is, he said that uh, uh, he, he, what he was spot on with this guy, and Matthew, the 13th chapter says, you know the scripture about the parable of the sower, the parable of the sword, one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the, is the man who hears the word, but the worries of the life and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes it and makes 
it unfruitful, this rich young ruler. Now, before Jesus, Jesus wept before he left. Before this guy turned away, he left. And the reason he left is because he had so many gifts to give to God, and he refused to give them. He hid because of the sweetness of life and the wealth of life kept him away from giving it up. This is the down payment here is treasures here or treasures there. That's, that's what this is about. Okay, number four, encourage one another. I think I'm on D. <laughs> encourage one another. And this, this is interesting. What just struck me in my heart here is when Jesus finishes this dialogue with this young, rich one guy, you can just see the disciples going, oh, man, he could have been a real blessing to us. See, there's no cheap grace with Jesus. You may not think it, but when you walked here this morning, you walked in here because you were rich. You're just filthy rich because you know the truth about this world. And you love the wealth of God more than the wealth of men. When Jesus finished this, Jesus stands there and he goes, Mark says it twice. Jesus looked around. Well, who, do you, who do you look at? When the young man started walking off, he looked at the 12 and the entourage of people following him. How you doing with that, boys? How you doing with walking away from, from all that? And the disciples, the young man heard this, he walked away, and Jesus said, disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easy for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. Now, Jesus, it's hard for a rich man to give him the kingdom of heaven. Mark says they went, <clears throat> well, isn't that the goal? Isn't that the goal of life? It's just suck it away. And then he adds a little more tight, and then a camel get through an eye of a needle. And then finally, uh, they discuss that among themselves. That's pretty heavy. Because I, th I thought we were cashing in with following this dude. The Messiah, you know, take over the whole place. Jesus looked at him again. He says, man is impossible, but with God, all are possible. And then Peter finally speaks up. You know, he couldn't stay quiet too long. He says, what about us? We lost a lot of things. What are we getting out of this? Well, they did leave a lot of things. And this is an interesting little dialogue here. Jesus says, you did leave a lot of things. Because some of us here, some of you here, really didn't leave a Tesla behind. You didn't leave leadership behind. You didn't leave wealth behind. You just left a little piece behind of nothing that really mattered anything because your life was crushed and you were a mess and you needed Jesus. But you still had to move forward into something. 
And Jesus is saying, guys, I appreciate those old rusty moth-eaten boats there in the Sea of Galilee. That's really great. But if we're going to make this tit for tat, wealth for wealth, get something. I want you to do your own thinking. Jesus gives him a whole long list, and he says, He says, God's going to bless you for this effort. And he says, You will reign. And he doesn't really go in a lot of details there because that's not the whole picture he's trying to give him. He says, No, I'm not going to miss any one of you that puts your bottom to try to make some effort. Yeah, the preacher may overlook you, the elders may overlook you, but I'm going to guarantee you. I will not overlook you. You see, Jesus was just as patient with these disciples as he was with this rich young ruler and his superficiality and all his good. Because we're stuck in our superficiality. He says, no. You know, one, one thing this summary says on the end of that chapter 19 is, folks, the Christian life is not easy. But I've talked to a lot of people that walked away from the Christian life and a lot of couples that never entered into a relationship with Christ that just stood on the edge like their rich-rung ruler, and I guarantee you his life won't get any easier. This is a decision that you have to make of your all-in surrender to Christ. And he went away. You suppose they just stood there and watched him walk away? Everybody's got a walk-away decision here today. Or tomorrow. Got one last picture here I wanted to show. This is Richard Wurmbrandt. Some of you may notice him. Some of you might even get his publication, a publication from his from the Voice of the Martyrs. Richard Wurmbrandt was a was raised, he was Jewish, he was raised Jewish in a Jewish family. His wife, Sabrina, was raised in a Jewish family. Uh, before World War II. Uh, Mr. Wormbrandt um, later was a licensed or uh, educated Anglican uh, minister, then went to a uh, Lutheran minister in Romania. Many of you know the story. He appeared before the congressional committees here in the United States. Mr. Wormbrandt, the country after World War II, the Soviet bloc countries were overrun by the Soviet Red Forces that signed on that document that you saw there. And uh, Romanian government decided that it had to get in charge of the churches and close the churches down and make them only 
politically licensed. And at a meeting of, of many ministers in the area, Richard Wormbrandt went up to the podium and said, this is wrong. We must live by the word of God. And he just drew a bullseye on him. One morning as he was walking to church from their apartment, he was picked up by unknown sort of people, and he was taken to a prison. Picture somewhat of it here. He was held prisoner for 15 years. They had one child. After, and nobody knew where he was. His wife didn't know what happened to him. He just disappeared on the way to church. They sent other thugs. They took her and put her in a labor camp for three years. No clothing, just simply whatever she had on. She worked, whether it was in January or February or July, in the same clothes. Left the child alone at home to die. They didn't know where he was for 15 years. She got released three years later and was able to pick up her son from a neighbor that took him in, who risked their life for doing that. He was tortured for 15 years. You can go to the congressional records and you can see him strip the waves in front of the Senate subcommittee with bored holes into his body with hot rods. One night, a winter night, he came through when he was finally released, came home, and started touring the world. He came to Wichita. My preacher said, we need to go hear Richard Wurmbrand. And I just got out of high school and I just started first year of college, and I knew something a little bit about it, and I decided I'd do it. And I remember this, some things you just want to forget. But I remember I had a pair of blue and red check pants <laughs> and a bright red sweater to go with it. And I went, and it was a real small church building. And he came in and he went up to the pulpit and he started speaking. I remember everything he had to say, but as I listened, I thought, whoa, this dude paid a price. And every now and then he'd sit down and he'd get back up and he'd sit down. The reason he had to sit down is because when they took him for his tor daily torture, they would hang him upside down on a rod bar and with his ankles connected to the bar and his hands, and then they would take a strap and they would beat the soles of his feet. 
or a rod until they bled. Daily occurrence. So he couldn't stand on his feet very long. When he finished, man, I was, I was thinking, wow. And they led him back around to the room in the back. And I was young. I had to say something to him. And I just kind of went through the crowd and saw these dudes walking him around there. And he was sitting at a desk. And they had some food for him. And it looked like he got a sweater kind of over one shoulder and, and he was kind of grabbing a crumb of food off the plate and he was starting to put the sweater on the other, and he had this sweater a half on, <laughs> a little piece of food in his hand. And I walked in and these guys stood up and I walked up to his desk and I said, Pastor Wormberg, I didn't plan anything, I said, Pastor Wormberg, if I could just have the faith that you have. And he threw his bread down, half sweater on, got up kind of on those feet, came around the desk, and he grabbed me and pulled me to me, him to me, to him. And he just hugged on me. And then he said something in some language. He only spoke 10 languages. And he said some kind of a prayer in some language. And then he released and he hoiled my shoulders. And now both of us were weeping. And I just backed away and left. I did not know how to surrender. And I still struggle with the surrender. But we must surrender for the full, complete, forever life, for now and to eternity. Let's pray. Gracious God, we all think we've all done it and we've arrived and you are so patient to us, it is beyond understanding. It is beyond our belief, God, how you put up with us and God forgive us and our childishness and our selfishness and our self-righteousness. How, Lord God, how we, how we can't stand the person next to us because they act as selfish as we do. We can't love that. God, this is not easy for us. 
You are well aware of that. We gripe to you all the time. Help us, God, to grow a little more for maturity's sake here this morning.